So one of the things I loved about being in seminary was batting about ideas and ways of thinking about history and the Bible and spirituality and theology for all the centuries, over millennia. All those ideas that I would have never thought on my own. And a lot of them used a lot of words I'd never heard before, like anaphora, antinomianism, apophatic, just to start off at the beginning of the alphabet. So you can imagine my surprise in this heady environment when a PhD student got up in chapel one day to preach. And his sermon was on biblical swear words. That's right, uh, biblical cursing, the biblical bleep words that over centuries of translation have been softened or they lost their cultural context. So we don't register them today as bad words. I can't really remember anything else about that sermon other than, dude, you're spending a couple of years just studying swear words in scripture? But I think it grabbed my heart and is still there after all these years, not just for the shock value, but because it points out how in the Bible, the very words encapsulate the fullness of human experience from the greatest glory and joy. It's like, let's say, the birth of Jesus, all the way to the darkness and horrible stuff that we do to one another. I mean, and that starts at the very beginning of the chapter of Genesis. I mean, not only do uh, Adam and Eve stray, but by the fourth chapter, we've got Cain murdering his brother. So, of course, there'd be swear words. And so when I look at today's gospel reading, where Jesus first ignores a Canaanite woman who's come to him crying for mercy and crying for help for her daughter who's ill, and then the disciples shooing her away, she's making a scene, she keeps shouting. And when she persists and she pushes through Jesus's rejection and kneels before him, pushes through his rejection where he had just said, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. She's on her knees, humbly, begging. And then, even then, Jesus more shockingly denies her worthiness and says it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Dogs. Is Jesus calling her a dog? Biblical scholar and Episcopal priest Will Gaffney puts it a lot more bluntly. Did Jesus just call that woman the word? Did he just call her that word for a female dog? It's not fair to take children's food and throw it to the dogs, to you. And we have to remember, know that in first century Judaism, dogs were not the beloved pets we have today or know today. They were beloved apparently in Greek and Gentile society, but they were considered filthy outdoor animals that scavenged scraps. And apparently the word dog was a horrible epithet akin to the N-word when referring to Gentiles and Canaanites, which this woman was. This is an incredibly harsh initial depiction of Jesus in this story. Exclusionary, prejudiced, prejudice against non-Jews, against women, against foreigners. She's a Canaanite. And ignoring and demeaning this unnamed woman and her humanity and her suffering, 
This isn't the Jesus that we're used to, the one who dines with the outcasts, who heals all the strangers, whose ministry was not amongst the insiders, but the outsiders. And he offers the living water of eternal life to the Samaritan woman. This Jesus in the story of the Canaanite woman isn't the Jesus we know who challenged oppressive societal and religious and economic forces. Instead, at the outset of this, Jesus is in the role of the oppressor. He's seeing the Canaanite woman not as a beloved child of God, but seeing through her through patriarchal cultural lens. And as the story goes, it is the woman herself who does what Jesus normally does. She challenges his exclusionary view. She challenges it by persisting. She challenges it by dishing it right back at Jesus. When he says he's not giving her a dog, the food that belongs to the children, the insiders, the better than, she pops it right back in his face and right in front of the disciples says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even me, I deserve your mercy. I deserve the same food the same healing you're giving everyone else. Crumbs. Crumbs are enough. And at this point, Jesus' stance totally flips. He sees her great faith, affirms that faith, affirms her prayer for mercy, and bam, her daughter is healed. This is an incredible testament to human persistence. An incredible testament for speaking truth in the face of overwhelming rejection. We could see it as incredible nonviolent resistance. She's just kneeling. She's not punching them out for having excluded her. She's not raising, raise, raising the aggressive level and calling him names. She's kneeling. So in this passage, we can see it as the power of one woman, one oppressed, excluded, dehumanized person affecting extraordinary change. How many times have white women, women of color, transgender women, people in societal positions of non-power, how many times have we, have they been beaten down by various dehumanizing insults and full-on rejection to access to the best that society has to offer? So oodles of commentary has been written about how this is a story, this is the very one that reveals Jesus as fully human and fully flawed as we are. They argue that his compassion initially wasn't all-encompassing. Many argue that it shows how Jesus' humanity was a product of his culture, where women were absolutely less than, and where other populations were dogs. So his shaping by the culture, his human shaping, made him exclude her from his mission and his love and his mercy. Yet her persistence, acknowledging him as the Messiah, she does in the very first line, as a Messiah who has the power to heal, and her persistence to say even the dogs can eat the crumbs, that makes him see his error. 
that she makes him see the era, error. And let's say the divinity part kicks in, brings him right into repentance and offers the mercy she prayed for. Now, her faith in many ways invites us into what faith can look like in the midst of chaos and rejection and illness and othering. And I get all that. But this perspective brings up hard questions for me that go beyond just the question that has been debated since the first centuries of, of Christianity. How human was Jesus? How divine was Jesus? How did that interact? There are questions of, are there still limits to God's mercy? Or are we the ones perceiving limits to God's mercy? The question, does did Jesus, does God need to learn from us? Does God require us to scream and shout before extending mercy? I have trouble with those ideas. Those questions stand up against the message we see in the overall canon, the whole body of scripture, that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, where everyone is welcome as God, at God's table. As we say here over and over and over again, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome. So this passage holds both a lot of wow and a lot of ick. Wow, persistence. Wow, ultimately the total inclusiveness of God's mercy. It's like the beautiful hymn J.K. just sang, and some of us just sang along with them before the sermon. There's a wideness in God's mercy. It's totally worth going back and looking at their words, those words. But there's also truth in the ick of this passage. Our lived experience of Jesus is that he doesn't always come through for us as we expect him to. And Jesus doesn't always conform to what we hope for. The scholar Joy Moore proposes that perhaps what Jesus was doing in this passage by ignoring her and comparing her to a dog and you know, he's only there for the lost sheep, you know, worthy of mercy. Join more posits that what Jesus is doing is actually naming the ugliness of discrimination and othering that was present in the hearts of the disciples who were there witnessing and in the hearts, in the heart of culture. She said, you know, if God knows the innermost parts of our hearts, then God or Jesus already knew the depth of the Canaanite woman's faith, already knew that if ugliness were presented, she would persist with love. Another scholar suggested that perhaps we could see the Canaanite woman as a reflection of Jesus, someone who points at the cross, bearing the sin of prejudice and exclusion, yet walking with love before Jesus, putting herself out there without regard to consequences, and beckoning the best, beckoning mercy. So I had wanted to make this sermon a nice, neat package, but 
In truth, that's not what scripture is. In truth, the whole thing is about love in the big picture. But how that love plays out is often a mystery, is often one that raises lots of questions. A presiding bishop always says, if it's not about God, it's not about love. But those God packages aren't always perfectly in the way that we expect them to be. And so I can sort of think of this, this passage and so many parts of scripture, even different books of scripture as like this giant bowl of jelly beans. And those, uh, what is it, the jelly bellies that have really, they're tiny and they're really intense flavors. And all the flavors are different. And they're all in this, this bowl, let's say this godly bowl of love together. But there's some that we don't like. Personally, I, I hate it if I bump into a coconut one. You know, get those coconut ones out there. Coconut and licorice, blech. And there are other ones that are going to be black for other people. But this whole story, this whole story ends up where God is and where Jesus is. Extending mercy. And then perhaps our invitation today is to look into the dynamics the dynamics that maybe don't make sense, the dynamics that don't fit, that feel uncomfortable. Maybe the question here is to sit with that discomfort, that discomfort of rejection, that discomfort of othering, the discomfort some of us may feel that we have experienced, the discomfort we may be experiencing as we're witnessing the experiences of others. To sit with that, Sit with the yummy jelly beans and the icky jelly beans that are all there, but that are all pointing at the ultimate mercy and the ultimate love of God.